We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. So, Robin, we're back in studio together. And I, of course, am Cheryl Broderson, and you are, of course... Robin Jones Gunn, and we have part two of right. Ruthie that we've come to adore already. That's right. Ruthie Burt Cornwall. Actually, her maiden name was Morrow. So she, so far, as she's grown up on a farm, she's a miracle baby. Um, she's grown up during the Depression. She's earned her own way to college. She's felt the tug of the mission field. She's studied to go on the mission field. She did these jungle camps. She met a young man, not a young man, kind of a middle-aged man named George in college that she fell deeply in love with. They're married. They're on their way. With a baby. With a baby to Bolivia. And not just any place in Bolivia, but up in the highlands of Bolivia. So, so far they've been on a ship and then they've been on a train for two days. And now they've reached a place called Cochabamba. Now, as yet, their training did not include Spanish. So they know very uh, wait a little, <laughs> slightly important. Yes, uh, very little. They know some, Whoa. but they don't know much. But they're met by a couple named Evelyn and Dan, who are already serving in Bolivia, who they knew from Bible college. And Evelyn and Dan spoke Spanish. And so they bring them back um, to where they're going to live until all the paperwork is done by the Bolivian government. And when they walk in, it's a tiny, tiny room, but it's got a bed and a chair. And Ruthie begins just to exult. Oh, George, look, they've given us a bed and a chair. <laughs> she expected she was prepared for nothing. Nothing. She was she was Aww. prepared for whatever the Lord gave her. And she was so thankful. For a chair. And Evelyn and Dan just began to giggle. They were just so delighted by Ruthie because that's her attitude. At the same time, the Lord provided an older woman named, they called her Mom Janofsky. And Mom Janofsky spoke perfect Spanish, understood not only the culture of Bolivia, but also the laws. And so she guided them, stayed with them through all the paperwork, through all the shopping, just to kind of uh, get the Bolivian ways. And um, in this story, and I won't go into it because we don't have time, she talked about how different Bolivia was from any of her experience in the United States and how colorfully the people dressed. And um, and she was just taking in all the culture. I mean, she was like breathing it in and loving it. And she's at over 8,000 feet. So that's living a different kind of pace yeah, altogether. Absolutely. And, you know, the even the oxygen is different, yeah. right? <laughs> So she says that the, I'll tell you a little bit, that houses were brick adobe with round cylinders on top. And these cylinders stored the fuel they needed to heat their homes. And they used cow pies to um, store inside those units that they burned um, because it was cold. Bolivia, because of its altitude, is cold. I mean, you expect South America, oh, it's so hot. No, it was Mm -mm. really, really cold. So the people, um, so... From Bolivia, they finally take a um, bus ride to Tambo. And again, she's just taking everything in. 
Um, and Tambo is the place where they will spend the next six years of their lives. Um, there, she's noticing all the houses as they drive by. And she was told that the people of Tambo were hardworking and descendants of the Incans. And they raised sheep. Um, the sheep were mainly raised for their wool, and the wool was woven into these colorful skirts, um, shirts, pants, and hats. And the altitude made the the temperatures hover in the 50s and 60s. So it's it's not warm. Tambo was of a slightly uh, lower elevation than um, Cochabamba at about 5,000 feet above sea level. Still, you know, up yeah. there. Tambo means resting place. And it was two-thirds of the way from Cochabamba and Santa Cruz. So it's like you've got one third more and you'd be in Santa Cruz. Tambo was owned, um, had a mission station that was owned by the New Tribes Mission. And it was a boarding school for the missionary children. And this is where they would be for the first um, the first assignment. Their living quarters was a dormitory with a room for George, Ruthie, and Louise. And there were two other bedrooms filled with 14 boys, all living in the same oh. quarters. There was a common kitchen and living room. Ruthie was responsible for feeding these boys and also teaching classes. Now, remember, she's also got her baby with her. George was responsible for overseeing the boys, um, helping with their homework, and chores that, you know, on the mission uh, station, as well as teaching. The restrooms were in separate buildings behind each dorm. There was also a separate building for laundry, and there was no electricity, so everything was run by a generator. So you have electricity, you'll have lights from this time to that time, and you won't have it during these hours. The Kachua people came to the gate at the mission station and sold vegetables from their farms, and this is um, what they would buy to make the meals from. In addition to their duties at Tambo, Ruthie and George were mastering the language, so they're also taking classes um, to master the language of Spanish. George was absolutely amazing with these boys and the students. He had endless patience. Ruthie struggled with patience and the boys' antics, but he had endless patience, and she wanted to learn from him. She had enthusiasm, Mm -hmm. and he had patience. Mm -hmm. George and Ruthie had their second child, Rebecca, on January 10th, 1959, while serving at Tambo. On Saturdays, besides her duties, Ruthie was the official barber for all the boys and staff, all the boys uh, (laughs) at the mission station. (laughs) And every Sunday, there was a church service followed by a delicious lunch and free time in the afternoon for all to enjoy. So Ruthie had to cook a delicious lunch, and she never felt like cooking was her... um, her best gift, but she had to do it for all really? these boys. Mm-hmm. After all those other skills, she that's acquired right. cooking, not so much. Right. So there was um, a couple, and the man's name was um, Dr. Black, and his wife's name was Lois. Um, Dr. Black was also English, so he and George hit it off, you know, both being oh, from England. Indubitably. But he was also a doctor. So he cared for all the medical needs of the staff and the community outside the compound. Well, he and his wife were being transferred to Argentina. 
and Dr. Black asked Ruthie to take his job of being responsible for the medical needs. Oh, and Ruthie, what a responsibility. Ruthie had always been interested mm. in medical work. She was raised on a farm and she knew about basic health, you know, but she had never, ever nursed people before, except for the older woman who was sick at the right. college. Right. But she felt like she lacked experience. But funny enough, before she left for the mission field, she had a friend that was a nurse that said, I feel that you're supposed to take my um, encyclopedia pedias of medical care with you so here they have like limited space but she's taken these volumes on um, medical health and you know and they're For trugging a those she, around yeah, right. she didn't even know why right. she on the them. ship on the train I wonder how many times she said do we really have to take these exactly mm. so um so she says, she prays, she, at first she refuses. She says, no, 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 no. I, I don't want to be responsible to hurt somebody. You know, that's a really, really huge responsibility. But God kept telling her yes. Mm. And she's like, this can't be the Lord. And then one day she's reading her Bible and the confirmation comes from Isaiah 41.10. Fear not. For I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you with my righteous right hand. And she went back to Dr. Black and said, All right, I will do it. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because, George, will you marry me? Let me think about it. Exactly. Dr. Black, will you take this over? Let me pray about it. Let, Let me, me pray about, about it. it. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I love I love the idea of, you know, in all your ways, acknowledge him and mm. he will direct your paths. Even yes. though your heart might tell you yes or your heart might tell you no, what really matters is what is the yes. Lord telling you? So she becomes, the, she was known as La Señora Rutt because they couldn't say Bert. <laughs> so, La Signora Rat. And she began to make house calls on the villagers, too. At first, she had to travel on foot, but soon the mission um, was able to give her a bicycle so she could travel faster. During the summer vacation time, Ruthie was meeting medical needs, and she and George were hunkering down in their language studies because they found, like, we need to know more. Well, not only Spanish, but were they with... Quechuan people, so they yes. had to learn that. Yes, mm -hmm. that dialect. Dialect, yeah, that distinct mm -hmm. tribe would be two languages to learn then. Absolutely. Mm. And because of a dusty summer breeze and the absence of screen on the windows, Ruthie was also sweeping and dusting the house two times a day. Uh, so she's, she's willing to do whatever the Lord puts in front of her. No job is mm. too low mm -hmm. for Ruthie. She, was, she had to go back to... Um, Kuchambamba, to register as a health officer or a sanitaria, um, which is a health officer, which gave her the authority to purchase medical supplies and to treat people. She was not allowed to service people in the big cities where hospitals were present, but in the outlying villages and on the compound. Among her other duties, she was responsible for delivering babies. During her time on the mission field, and this is taking her time here in Bolivia, and then she'll go on to minister in Peru. She delivered an estimated 2,200 babies. 
And she learned and used techniques that often resulted in saving the baby and mother's life. Of Mm. those 2,200 births, only two of the babies were stillborn. She only lost two of the babies. Incredible. All of those um, births. Uh, She had a better record than anybody else. Of course, she was praying, right? While serving in Tambo, Ruthie woke up with a sore throat that wouldn't go away. It was so, so bad. It was excruciating. And it was really weakening her, so she didn't feel like she could um, do um, all that she wanted to. And so she was taken to a hospital in um, Quechua, and the hospital had a mud floor. And Ruthie had to sit on a dirty chair until they could find a bed for her. Now, the way the hospitals in Bolivia run is that at that point, you had, the doctor would tell you all he needed, the medical equipment for your surgery, and you had to go out and purchase it. Oh. So he examined her, told mm-hmm. her she needed her tonsils out. And so then she had to go purchase all the medical equipment to get her own tonsils out in this filthy, dirty place. And what was the availability of such items and sanitary? She was able to go to Kachamba, uh, Kachambaba, and get the medical supplies. And, of course, the mission uh, station helped. So they removed her tonsils. And by a miracle, she survived that surgery and went back to the mission station. While she's still recovering from her surgery, a woman from the village walks all the way to the compound because she's about to give birth and she needs help. Um, She knows something's wrong. Ruthie checks this woman and finds that the baby's arm is already extending outside the birth canal. So Ruthie quickly sanitizes everything and gently eases the baby's arm back into the mother's womb. She really doesn't know what she's doing. She's praying and saying, God, give me wisdom, give me wisdom. Um, She then reaches in and repositions the baby inside the mother's womb. Mm. And very soon a healthy boy is born. And from that experience, her fame begins to spread in all oh, yeah. the outlying villages. This feels like a Christmas episode of Call the Midwife. I know. Seriously. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So now she's teaching school, raising her own girls, feeding the boys in the dorm, teaching classes, serving as a doctor. And yet she relished all the opportunities God gave her to serve him. She felt that she needed to fully rely on God for both the wisdom and the strength to do all he had called her to do. Well, yes. So she also dealt with <laughs> other so. yes, medical issues <laughs> during her time in, Boli- in Bolivia. A woman who couldn't hear came to Ruthie. Ruthie examined the ear and found that it was full of ticks. So she removed oh. all the ticks in this woman's ear oh. so she could um, restore the hearing. I mean, mm. like I said, it wasn't too low for her. She would do whatever she needed to do. Um Ticks in the air was not something uncommon since the people slept with their animals to guard them from thieves. So that one was an extreme case, but she did a lot of those cases. On one of her um, medical visits to the village, Ruthie was grabbed by a man who um, intended evil. She was walking that day. She didn't have her bicycle. And he grabbed her and she knew um, Ruthie was actually really beautiful. And he, she knew that, you know, he, 
he was wicked. And she prayed and said, Lord, tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. And so she held up her hand where her ring finger is, and she pointed to her, her ring finger, and she said, Sir, el Señor, in Spanish, look, mm. look. And he let her go with a disgusted look. And right then, the scripture from Matthew twenty-eight nineteen came to her, I am with you always. And then Psalm 28, 7, the Lord is my strength. Mm. Amen. So where wow. they served in, you know, at the mission house at, in Tombo, tarantulas, snakes, deadly snakes, and lack of sanitation were all part of the ministry. And Ruthie took all of these in her stride. Ruthie also had her third and last child on January 25th, 1962, Robert Paul Burt. Now, when Robert was two months old, he needed surgery. His condition was serious because of strangulated hernia. So the Berts had to go back to Quechua. He had to be examined there. Um, They again had to purchase all the medical supplies and equipment for the surgery. And again, she's worried about the sanitation. It's one thing if it's her, but now it's her baby boy. He's only two months old. Mm Mm-hmm. After the surgery, Bobby, right after the surgery, there's no hospital time. It's a mud floor. You really don't Mm. want anyone staying in that hospital. He's sent right home. And the surgery actually saved his life. So not too long after this, Ruthie has an appendicitis attack. And she has to go back to Quechua and have her appendix removed. And again... She has to supply the medical equipment mm. for this surgery. And, mm. you know, uh, George actually went to Kachambamba to um, purchase it for her. The surgery was successful. The appendix had not burst by a miracle. They were able to remove them before the poison, you know, the septus had gone uh-huh. into her body. Ruthie again is sent home that day. Now, just days after her own surgery... <laughs> Her services are called upon to deliver twins, twins. So Ruthie used every opportunity um, when she was doing her medical services to tell her patients about Jesus, to share the gospel with them. And many received the Lord because she's like, you need prayer. You need Jesus. You need a (laughs) savior. She treated one girl. This is one of her um, most tragic cases. A girl came to her with venereal disease and Ruthie knew she would die. And she shared the gospel with her. She urged this girl and she said, you have probably a week to two weeks to live. Receive Jesus. And this girl went away saying, I'll think about it and died. Hmm. Another time she treated a man whose cut had worms growing in it. After removing the worms, cleaning the incision, and giving him stitches, she had to explain to this man, who never owned a watch, never seen a clock, how and when to take his antibiotics. And she realized that she had to do it by the position of the sun. When the sun is above the trees, take your medicine. When the sun sun goes down the next morning, when it first comes up, when you first see it, take your antibiotics— Um, The man lived and Ruthie's fame again spread. One of the 
um, most common treatments was treating snake bites. This involved Ruthie putting on a tourniquet, then giving um, the patient a tranquilizer to calm him down because if they were excited or anxious, the venom would go straight to the heart. So she had to make sure that she could stop the venom from getting to the heart. Ruthie would then draw out the venom. She had a kit to draw out the venom and um, give the um, victim an anti-venom. Many of the villagers also fell ill with malaria. Um, Ruthie and George themselves had many near misses with poisonous snakes just on their little walks. They served on the base um, tambo for six years before taking their first furlough. When the families in Tambo found out that George and Ruthie were leaving, they tried to stop them. They tried to get government interference sure. to stop them because they had no idea what they would do without Ruthie's services, yeah. and they trusted her. So this time they were able to travel from Tambo to Santa Cruz by plane. It's their first plane ride. Ooh. And they go all the <laughs> way to Santa Cruz. Uh, Santa Cruz, and then to Argentina, where they stayed with Dr. Black and his wife, Lois. Then they sailed to England. This is 1963. And they spoke in many churches there, but they were not allowed to collect any support from the churches in England. And that was just some policy that was that was um, imposed. So, however, um, their time there was refreshing and blessed. Then... When they were about to fly to America, um, their passport, Ruthie finds out that when she became a British citizen, she had forfeited her U.S. citizenship. She was told oh. at the time, you'll have dual citizenship. Yeah. But they told her that her U.S. passport was no good. So she was upset. And from that moment on, she determined that whenever she could, she was going to renew her citizenship in the U.S. So they flew to New York and then... Um, they traveled to Erie, Pennsylvania. Ruthie's parents were able to meet their grandchildren for the first mm-hmm. time, all three of them. Um, they rented a house just a block away from Ruthie's parents who watched the children so that Ruthie and George could travel and share, share their missionary adventures and ministry as well as raise support. Ruthie's little church that she had grown up in and with, um, where she had first received the call, were so excited to support uh, them and to yes. introduce her and her husband, George. Mm. These are our yes. missionaries because she had been writing them letters, telling them all about it. So now many of them were meeting Ruthie and George and their mm. children for the first time. They returned Cochabamba, Bolivia, but this time they were petitioning to live in Bini. Bini was a hot jungle area. It was a change from the Andes Mountains. So they flew to La Paz and from La Paz to the village of Rurinbaki. Then they traveled by canoe. I'm probably butchering these names. So if you're from South America, you're more than welcome to correct me. (laughs) I would love it. What does it say? Um, Correct a wise man and he'll be wiser. I hope that will be me. (laughs) Then they traveled by canoe across the Bini River to San Buenaventura. And the houses there were made of bamboo sticks secured with vine. The roofing was palm trees. And in these houses, you could hear the scurrying of insects and lizards. The kitchens were outside the houses. And both the kitchens and the houses had mud floors. 
They moved into a house previously lived in by a missionary couple who had also built and started a church. The church was made out of adobe brick with three small windows at the top of each wall. The windows had bars rather than screens to keep out most of the animals, including monkeys, and yet let the breeze in. The people in the area were the Takana people. Um, the open door to these people was Ruthie's medical skills. The people then brought um, Bert's fruit um, because of her medical uh, skills. They would pay her um, in fruit and, you know, the jungle food. I'm just trying to picture what a contrast to the mountains mm-hmm. and the all the environment, but the like now different kind of bugs and yes. <laughs> creatures. But yes. still, the Lord, right through the middle of it, here's these skills that now mm-hmm. you've developed and you can use that again right. in a jungle situation. So, you know, they're walking everywhere. They're in a the jungle, sure. right? And so if they want to go to Rurimbaki, which is the largest city to where they are, which is not very big, they have to go by canoe. They have to go across. And there's one picture, and she doesn't mention this in the book, of her son. And he's got like a whole string of piranha fish that he's caught for dinner. And you're just like, ah! You know, and you've got the, um, is it crocodiles down there um, on the Amazon? I mean, this is this is incredible. Um, the people, um, uh, they also had, I'm sorry, the Burts also had a two-way radio in the house to contact the mission board for supplies. Their main diet while they lived there consisted of rice and bananas, yucca, and whatever meat was offered to them, including, here we go, fish, monkey, wild pig, um, taper, turtle, and lizard. What's taper? I don't know. I, know. <laughs> I was hoping you would know. I know. It's some it kind of animal. Maybe by our next... Yes. Podcast. We cool. will be able to tell everybody. So their refrigerator, they um, they had a refrigerator that cooled the water and was able to keep their food from spoiling. So they have somehow electricity in this place. Uh, for clean water drinking, they had a 55-gallon um, barrel located on the back of the house that caught the rainwater. One day, she's looking out the window, and she's a, she's a horse taking the clothespin um, that has the uh, cloth that covers the water supply, taking that off and then tossing the cloth aside and drinking out of their fresh rainwater. And she said she just laughed and laughed (laughs) at the ingenuity of this horse. Ruthie at this time had to make water for her family, for her whole family. Um, She made bread. It was like a once a week she would make the bread. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this, but in their missionary house, again, the kitchen is outside the house, as is mm-hmm. the um, bathroom, uh, the toilet or the outhouse, right? Yes. So she's um, making bread and she said it never failed that she'd be in the middle and her hands would just be covered with the dough. She'd be in the kneading process and somebody would say, we need you right away. It would oh, be a no. pressing medical need. And she'd have to you know, wipe off her hands, worry about her bread. And she'd have to uh, go wherever the need was. And she was really resenting that. Uh, she had this like, I just want to make bread. It's my children. It's my husband. Can I just make bread for my family? And the Lord spoke to her heart and said, Ruthie, bread is not the priority. And you were not commissioned to go to South America Mm. to make bread, but to make disciples of people. And she said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. So I 
think that might be all that we have time for. Well, there's more story. We have to hear. There's more stories. Win from there. Yes, because um, we'll pick up when she's in uh, Peru, and we'll pick up with some of the dangers uh, that they encountered in the jungle. And you know,、um, one thing I left out was whether they were in Bolivia or whether they were in Peru. They always had to sleep with mosquito nets. Oh, that's true. Constantly, right. because right. of all of the mosquitoes, that was just a a constant threat. And、um, and I think about how it, it won't be known until heaven when they came back on their furlough or whatever their time was in England and in the U.S. Even though England wouldn't let them collect funds, but still those stories going、right. out, and then in the U.S. they were able to raise their support. But how many lives were affected to pray, absolutely, to give, and. Other missionaries in that next come, generation、yes. that went out and even come to faith, you know, well, God、right. that supplies like that, a God that's worth sacrificing,、um, a God that loves the indigenous and the unknown that much. Yeah, that's the God I want to serve. So, well, we're out of time. We'll be back. We'll be back. Please join us. That's right. This is Robin Jones Gunn, and Cheryl will tell us the end of the story. That's right. Our Ruthie girl next time. All right. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones Gunn. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Robin on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwwkccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones Gunn.